Welcome, Clatchers. This episode is a special release. We originally aired it last month for our Patreon members over at patreon.com forward slash CKC podcast. And it's a segment, one of many, that we pulled from that episode and we thought you guys would be interested in it. And it's about dogs. So you have a glimpse already over on the free channels to our Patreon movie tier. And what that's like, go check out Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And now you get a little bit of the bonus episode tier. Each month we have a main segment usually that we talk about. This time it was dogs. We think that's a lot of fun. But then we also cover hot topics in the news, what we're watching, and Patreon polls for the next month's movie. If you know of anyone who loves dogs as much as we do and you think they'll enjoy this podcast, let them know about CKC. Tell them this is an episode they don't want to miss. And thanks to the sponsor of this episode, MyBookie, we're able to provide you guys with this free cast. We know the coverage has been a little sporadic in this off-season in between our big shows. We can officially announce there will be another cast coming at you soon, covering, you guessed it, Sharp Objects. That's HBO's miniseries off the Gillian Flynn novel. We've been wanting to talk about it ever since it came out. We are going to do a one-episode coverage of the entire series, episodes one through eight, So be sure that you've watched everything and you're ready for spoilers and then head on over and check that out. When we originally recorded this podcast, it was about 101 degrees, so we had the AC on for most of it. So apologies for that humming in the background, but trust me, we needed to do it. All right, enjoy the show. You know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Patreon-exclusive bonus podcast. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And this bonus cast, we have a fun, hopefully interesting new topic, completely different than what we've been doing. We're going to tell you all about dogs, a history of dogs and humans, about a dog's mind, how to decode dog body language, some of the remarkable feats and dog rankings, and how would dogs fare in a world without humans? Then we'll touch upon the fact that men are dogs. We'll also have a quick quiz going over the Hall of Fame pop culture dogs, the 15 most famous. We asked you Clatchers to write in and tell us how many could you think of off the top of your head. Hopefully there was no cheating going on. We have to open up with a background on a history of dogs and humans. A lot of this stuff that we're going to be talking about is our special bond that we have with man's best friend, how it's evolved why dogs are so amazing, the abilities that they have, the things they can do. What got us thinking about this, I read this really amazing magazine. It's a time special edition called How Dogs Think, Inside the Canine Mind. Admittedly, I took most of my info directly from this. Normally, we come up with a topic, I'll read a little bit about it, and then I'll find a ton of other sources to match that and fill out. But they have just covered everything so beautifully. If you're looking for it, you can definitely check it out in Time Magazine. You're saying this magazine pretty much covered everything from head to paw? (laughs) Correct. And they started out with this wonderful history, talking about how this dates back so many years. The earliest remains of humans and dogs interred together, so buried together, was 14,000 years ago. And how amazing it is that dogs even came into being. It was only by the tiniest bit of genetic chance that this union was forged. So, so wait, so we started being buried with them, what did you say, 18? 14,000 14, years ago. So Kirk would know about that. 
He was around then. Oh right? my god. Well, that means the bond Just was kidding. <laughs> That means the bond was started so very long ago. And believe it or not, dogs and wolves share 99.9% of their mitochondrial DNA, which makes the two species nearly indistinguishable, even though there's such a big difference in our mind between the two. Mitochondrial DNA is what's passed on from the mother's side, but also elsewhere in their genetics, there's factors that make a powerful difference. For instance, on chromosome 6, they found three genes that code for hypersociability what makes dogs friendly and part of yeah. what makes us love them. Man's best friend. I learned from Neil deGrasse Tyson many years ago on his TV show, remember? And he was talking about how all dogs came from wolves. And it was that wolf that was, I mean, I'm going off of memory here, but basically he was saying it was that one wolf, maybe not one, but let's just to simplify it, that one wolf who came closer to the humans when they were outside in the campfire and would put his head down and whine a little bit. And the humans would just throw some meat out there. And that would happen every so often. And then it would happen more. And this wolf was realizing, and his, I guess his pack, I'm making a story off of this, but this might not be exactly how it happened. But they were learning, if we aren't aggressive with these beings, humans, they'll throw us food. And then that bond grew closer and closer as, as the wolves and humans probably got more comfortable with each other and they realized they can cohabitate. But I don't understand, and Neil deGrasse Tyson didn't explain either, how they would change physically that much. They would evolve over time to make themselves cuter, cuter. so that that bond would be strengthened. You're absolutely right. I mean, this article said... Our ancestors started to recognize every now and again one or two of the mid-sized scavengers that came around the campfire would gaze at them with a certain attentiveness and neediness. Thus, they welcomed those few in from the cold and eventually came to call them dogs. The animal's close kin that didn't have those good genes, so those we came to call wolves, jackals, coyotes, were left to make their way in their own state of nature. And this select group of dogs, quote-unquote, started to evolve to forge that relationship and eventually separated them genetically, but as we can see, only by that 0.1% from wolves. Now, some of them are a little bit farther along that line, some of them still a little bit closer to wolves. We will talk about that. What gets me is I know how genetics works. For example, there were two different types of squirrels, one who had the ability to pretty much move their hand 360 degrees mm -hmm. or something similar to that. And they can go up and down trees a lot faster. And ones who didn't, the ones who had that ability survived. The other ones didn't. So they were killed off Darwin. just by life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I understand how we got different looking dogs. We started breeding them. Correct. Humans started doing that. Well, if we take this big dog and this little dog and we breed them, what does that turn out? And then you keep doing that over the years. What's getting me is how does evolution know that... If I look cuter, these beings will make me... It's, it's selection for survival, exactly what you're saying. So these wolves that realized they could be taken care of and would have this symbiotic relationship with humans started to hang out with humans. Those ones amongst that group that were genetically most fit that humans responded to survived better, worked better within that group. And so over time, evolution kept selecting for that and improving for that. And I guess those types of dogs, quote unquote, because we were calling them that already? 
Yes, very early on. They would have sex because they were close to each other. So you have two cute genes, cuter genes mating, which made an even cuter one. And then kept over reinforcing time, over time, it. over time. Okay. And kept reinforcing some of these other things too. It wasn't just looks. So like I said, chromosome six for sociability. What's interesting about that is it's the same spot as genes on humans that's linked to our sweetness. Ah. So they're not all that dissimilar. There's some other things that are similar too we'll talk about. But going back to these early dogs, dogs back then, they were a lot more wolfish looking, standing perhaps 30 inches tall at the shoulders, and they weighed a maximum of about 100 pounds. They looked different than they do today. They started to infiltrate our lives, our cultures. There's folk stories that are populated by dogs. Africans have a story about Rukuba, the dog who brought us fire. The Welsh have a story about Gellert, the faithful hound who saved a prince's baby from a wolf. Aristocrats took to including dogs in their family portraits, and wealthy people started including them in their wills. Wow. So gradually we started to bring them in. The word puppy was created over time to expand upon that dog, and it's thought to have been adopted from the French poupée, or doll, which means an object on which we lavish irrational affection. Oh, wow. That makes sense, right? So over the course of time, that bond grew, our relationship grew. Dogs took over our hearts and Mm -hmm. our lives. Today, they are the most abundant terrestrial carnivore on the planet. How many dogs do you think there are worldwide? Oh, my goodness. I mean, 100,000? Not even close. (laughs) Go up to the millions. Okay, 5 million. 900 million. Wow. Worldwide, 80 million in the U.S. alone. There are 355 recognized dog breeds today, divided into 10 groups. Oh, hold on. I just realized how asinine 100,000 was. I didn't want to overshoot. Let me explain myself. Normally, when you ask me a question, right, and it's supposed to be an astounding number, I overshoot it, which makes your number not as cool. Sounds stupid. So I was trying to go lower so that your numbers... But I went too low, and I sound dumb. Hey, listen. They already know both of our inabilities to do math. Disney only makes six million a year. (laughs) (laughs) So, but 80 million in the U.S. alone is pretty astounding. 44% of families in the U.S. have at least one dog currently. We would have a dog if we weren't renting. And the average U.S. dog owner spends a minimum of $2,000 a year on food and expenses. Makes sense. In fact, they've become so beloved to us. When Hurricane Katrina struck, there were so many people refusing to evacuate because they wouldn't leave without their dogs. Congress passed a law requiring disaster preparedness plans to have accommodations for pets. Well, hell yeah, they should. Written into it. Of course, that's family. Mm -hmm. But nothing like that existed prior to that. Wow. Now, because we all have these great love for dogs, if you've had a dog as a pet before, you'll know that we're inclined to think they can do amazing things. I mean, we say this about our bird even all the Mm -hmm. time, really. We brag about how great he is. He's so smart. He knows all these different words. But scientists have done a lot of studies trying to figure out exactly what is their intelligence, their capability level, what goes on inside of a dog's mind, and how does it operate. There was a couple of them in this magazine. One in particular talked about Ninja, a three-year-old pit bull mix who was part of a study at Emory University in Atlanta. And Gregory Burns, who is a neuroscientist, conducted this research study into what's it like to be a dog. He ran a bunch of tests on him. Ninja is one of the few dogs in the world trained to sit utterly still in an MRI. Wow. If you're wondering 
how they got brain scans and the such. This was also done in conjunction with a lot of studies with the Association for Psychological Science, an association that normally deals just with humans but branched out into this research on dogs. They say that we've always known there's a system that's developed in which both species, humans and dogs, attend to each other's cues, but they were pushing harder to understand it empirically. There are several canine research facilities that have been established throughout the world looking at this very thing. But the APS findings, they came up with a couple of things. Number one, dogs can count, in a manner of speaking. They can look at two boards with geometric shapes attached and choose the one that has more. So they understand this one has three, this one has five. That means this one has more things. But could they turn around and ask him which one has less? They didn't actually do that, but they did another study that kind of goes along with that. They would show a dog, let's say, two treats. The dog would get excited about that. They would cover it up with cups, put it behind a wall, and then take it back out. And when they opened it up, there was three treats. And the dog would look at it amazed and show differences in their brain activity, showing that he knows when it went behind that wall, it only had two, and it came back out and it had three, and vice versa if it went in with three and came back out with two. That's amazing. So it knows... So they know some kind of numerical difference. It's not the same as our counting one, two, three. They can read human faces. This is another finding. We're going to talk a little bit about that more, how they can read into our emotions. But empirically, they showed this because they understand the importance of using gaze to communicate and direct our attention. They've gotten to the point where they realize if they look at us long enough and kind of hold our gaze and then look somewhere else, we tend to follow that and go along with they're trying to tell us something. And it works the other way around too. Dogs are actually one of very, very few species that has learned, I don't even want to say learned, it seems they innately know. When we point, that means we're trying to direct their gaze somewhere and they will follow that. They'll look at exactly where we're pointing. Very few other animals will do that. You know, that reminds me of a show that we were watching. Funny enough, it was Drunk History. Do you remember this? I don't remember the names in particular, but it's a Comedy Central show where comedians or famous people get drunk and they actually tell a whole history. I love that show. And they have other people later on uh, act out the scene that they're telling but using the person's words. So he'll burp and stuff. It's really funny. But this story in particular was about a gentleman way back in the day, way, way, way back in the day, who had a magic horse who could count. Long story short, the, the horse would be able to stomp its feet if the guy said, nine, what's this? He'll write nine, mm-hmm. and it'll do nine times. People didn't understand it. They did a study. They didn't figure it out. But a therapist finally figured it out that the horse didn't know the number. What it knew was reading the crowd's expression. And as he got closer to the number, he could see them getting more excited, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's, it's all about these nonverbal cues that we're giving off. And another part of this article talked about that, that this is a survival instinct that goes way back to when they were part of wolf packs. And obviously they couldn't talk to each other. And when they're out hunting, they couldn't make noises. So the way they would communicate was through gaze, body language, They became very, very adept at sending each other signals like that. And over time, that's translated to humans. They've learned how to read that on us as well. Okay, another thing that they excel at is object permanence. 
which babies don't have. Exactly. So it's the ability to understand that what is out of sight is not gone from Mm -hmm. existence. You take a baby, a small child, you remove a toy from their vision. They think that toy is gone forever. They will become very, very upset. Even when you bring the toy back, sometimes there's not the understanding that that's the same toy or where it went. It completely went out of existence and now a new toy came in. The same study with the treats, however, when the people moved the treats behind the wall, the dog continued to sit there and look at that wall and wait because it knew the treat was still back there, even though it couldn't see it anymore. You could probably smell it still, though. Yeah, they did it with some other objects in addition to that. I think they've kind of factored in a lot of these things. But I thought dogs got so sad when their owners left for work because they, were, they thought they were gone forever. That is not true. In fact, I was going to go to the next thing. Based on these studies, they realized dogs have an awareness not just of the past and future, but also the rate at which time passes. They set a bunch of dogs up with closed-circuit cameras and monitored their behaviors. One of them showed that the dogs all seemed to prepare as the time came for humans who had been out all day to return. So whatever time that human normally comes home at, if it's 5 o'clock, A little before five, the dogs would start stirring from the nap, checking the front door, becoming excited, becoming restless. Mm -hmm. They would perform behaviors. So they knew you're not gone forever. And in fact, they had a sense of when you were supposed to return. Oh, okay. And that's an abstraction that takes human babies much longer to learn than dogs learn it. Well, the thing about humans, it's ridiculous. If you think about it, a human baby takes so many years before it's able to survive on its own. For example, when they're newborns, they are useless, right? You have to do everything Completely for them. Completely dependent. And then as they get older, they can do a little bit more, but they still depend on the family to take care of them. When you see nature with lions and bears and all of these creatures, that period is so much smaller. And it's probably evolution because they're in the wild and they have to survive quick. They have to learn how to be on their own real quick and to the point where once they reach that age, they're actually on their own. They leave mama cub or what have you. Compared to other animals, humans have a lot going for us. We're intelligent, we're long lived, we have the internet, but in some areas we get left in the dust. Take walking for instance. While newborn horses are standing up and walking within hours of their birth, dumb old babies take a year to start waddling around. Why are humans so good at complex things but so terrible at simple stuff like walking? It turns out two of our defining human characteristics, our brain size and our upright walking, are at odds with each other. The hypothesis is, when our ancestors came down from the trees and started walking across the savanna three to six million years ago, a more upright posture was an advantage. It used less energy than knuckling on all fours, allowing our extremely great grandparents to cover large distances more easily. To support this upright stance, our hips had to change shape, and with this change in shape came a narrowing of the birth canal. According to Cal State Fullerton anthropologist John Bach, this is where our delayed ambulatory skills come from. Your brain has to be developed enough to control all your limbs before you can start walking. But this brain development makes your head bigger, and if your head is bigger, you can't get through the birth canal, and if you can't get through the birth canal, you don't get born. Not so smart with your big brain now, are you, you stuck genius baby? To work around the dilemma, babies are born with comparatively underdeveloped brains. They also need soft skulls so they can squish their way out of mama. The bones in our skulls aren't fused together at birth, leaving room for our brains to double in size in our early years. So for us to become smarter, we had to start out dumber and vulnerable. It's just funny to think about how soft humans are. Well, it's where they have to be. So 
humans have the ability to have that longer period of time. There are some animals where that's similar. So kangaroos, their babies will stay in their pouch for a very long time and be dependent on the mother. Again, it's where natural selection and that process weeds things out. If they needed to adapt quicker, they would adapt quicker. Some of this stuff doesn't just seem to be survival. It's kind of evolved a little bit for the dog's benefit over the time too. So as I say, they have this increased sociability gene. They tested their ability to behave pro-socially in an experiment where two dogs were placed in side-by-side cages. One was trained to pull a lever that would deliver food to the other one. The first dog got nothing in return for that and yet was usually happy to pull the lever all the same. So even though he got nothing, he would keep pulling the lever Hmm. for the other dog to get the treat provided the dog on the other side was a playmate, somebody that he already knew. Unknown dogs were less likely to get that same treatment. If they didn't already know it, they wouldn't pull the lever as many times. That's very human. Right? Isn't that crazy? So, in fact, another thing they were doing, comparing them to humans, was trying to figure out a dog's brain size. Now, size doesn't determine everything, but it is a big part of our brain power, the size of your brain relative to the body. Human brains are huge, about 150th of the mass of the average body. So let me put that into context for you. On a much lower end of the scale, and that means they have a much smaller intellect, I'm sorry to say, horses have one to 600. So we have one to 50, a smaller number here means Mm. much bigger, that ratio. They have one to 600. Wow. Lions have one to 550, not that much better. Dogs? One to 125. It's a lot closer. It's a lot closer. It's much smarter. What about monkeys and apes? Because they're closer to us. I don't know. I would be excited to see that and also dolphins. Because when they talk about smartest mammals, (laughs) they're usually right up there in that category. Whenever you bring up dolphins, I think of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. On the planet Earth, man had always assumed that he was the most intelligent species occupying the planet instead of the third most intelligent. The second most intelligent creatures were, of course, dolphins, who, curiously enough, had long known of the impending destruction of the planet Earth. (laughs) So another thing that they saw in these lever tricks, uh, they did another one involving the treats. It entailed multiple steps. They were trying to teach the dogs. The dogs had never seen this process before. So the human would go through, let's say, six steps. I walk over to this machine, I do this, I do that. Then I pull the lever, then I walk around, and the treat comes out. They show the dog once, let the dog go over and try to do it. The dogs would watch the process once or twice. As soon as they came over, I think like nine out of ten of the dogs, realized that steps two, three, four in that process were unnecessary. They didn't have to do that in order to receive the treat. So they just went from steps one to four or five, pull the lever, treat comes out. They were able to realize which part of that was not needed and just cut it out of the equation. See, that sounds amazing, but I'm wondering if they just were not patient and they just went to the last thing. If they weren't intelligent, though, they wouldn't know that's going to work. They would think steps two, three, and four were also a necessary part of that to make the treat come out. How did they know they didn't have to do steps two, three, and four? For instance... You take a baby, a child, up until 
three or four years of age, they've done the exact same studies with them, that child will mimic your behavior and follow that process steps one through eight every single time. So even after learning it and after seeing for themselves that pulling the lever is what causes the treat to come out, they Mm -hmm. will still do the unnecessary couple of steps. All right, and the last thing I said before that dogs are very good at reading our body language and our facial expression, these studies show that they could assess what we're feeling purely based on facial expression. They appear to be able to gauge whether a person is feeling positive or negative just by looking at photographs of either the top or bottom half of a person's face. They showed the dog a partial photo of a human face, and it could choose correctly when it was then shown two full-face pictures which one matched the partial expression. So they showed the dog just the bottom half of a human face, right from the bottom of the nose down. Then they showed the dog two pictures of full-sized human faces. Um, Here's Christina and here's Jason. And asked it, which one does this first one match? Is this bottom half of a face a Christina face or a Jason face? And every single time they were able to correctly show it matched this person's full face. That's pretty amazing. Again, it's it's another way for them to survive. They got to know who their owner is or who someone important is. Well, and how they're going to react to us. So another evolutionary thing over time, they've learned, let's say when we come home, they need to learn to read our expression to know how to react to us. Right. Are we in a bad mood? Are we going to yell at them or fly off the handle because of something? Or are we in a good mood and they might get a treat from from us? Ah, So do I come up to them? Do I lick them? Do I go and hide for a little (laughs) while? This is very adaptive functioning. This is also why dogs are more likely to follow a human's command when the person first looks at the dog. So back to this gaze, eye contact, facial expression is very important. We need to signal communicative intent. So if you look at the dog, it knows, I'm trying to tell you something, follow Mm -hmm. along with this, and they'll more easily master whatever you tell them next. We should have gotten Cesar Milan on here for a podcast. How cool would that be? That would be amazing. So dogs don't think, they react. Sophie didn't know I was Cesar Milan. Sophie just knew that my energy was different. So the first thing people have to change is their state of mind. World transformation begins with self-transformation. So your world around you will change if you transform yeah. how you view the world. Exactly. If you guys don't know who that is, he's the dog whisperer. Oh, I think everybody knows who Caesar Milan yeah. is. It's pretty cool. All right, Jason, let's see your knowledge in a very quick quiz. Just four questions. How well could you decode your dog's body language? All right, so think about one of your previous dog pets that you had. Okay. Here's the first question. Your dog is licking her lips. Does this mean A, she's hungry, B, she's stressed out, or C, she just ate some peanut butter? We'll put a pause here so that our clatchers can answer too. I'm going to go with A, she's hungry. Incorrect. Shit. B, she's stressed out. Dogs can experience both short-term and chronic stress, and that often manifests in... Licking the lips? Licking their lips or other movements with their mouth, and this is why you have to be careful if a dog starts to exhibit certain signs. Even if it's not an aggressive dog, they could be preparing to bite. Wow. Or to lash out. Okay. So there's other things that coincide with that. Other behaviors, I don't want to give them away. I see they're already part of this quiz, but you're going to look for multiple signs and symptoms to know that's what's happening. Question number two. You can see the whites of your dog's eyes. This means A, he's surprised. B, he's curious, 
or C, he's afraid. I'm going to feel so dumb with these because, one, I haven't had a dog in many, many years. If you asked bird questions, I'd be able to answer those. Well, it's very similar with a bird. So what would you say if it was Achilles and you could see the whites of his eyes? He's afraid? Correct. Yeah. The whites of the eyes appear when the head turns one way and the eyes go another. So in play, this happens when the dog fakes you out. Oh, I'm looking this way, but I'm going that way. But in public, around other people, this may be a sign he's fearful or wants the interaction to be finished with. So if you're not playing around and the dog's not already relaxed and he starts exhibiting that, something's going wrong. Number three, your dog freezes up. A, she needs space. B, she's getting ready to pounce. Or C, she's feeling nervous. She just stops moving. Feeling nervous. No. It's Hold a on. Good guess, but no. They're feeling nervous. They're going to be moving around. Mm-hmm. Tail's going to be up. Space. Correct. A. Dogs will freeze and have a lack of behavior when they want a person or another animal to back off right away. Okay, finally, question number four. Your dog's tail is wagging like crazy. A. He's happy. B. He's upset. Or C. It depends. I'm going to go C. It depends. You can really read the tail. A happy tail wagging is different from an upset tail wagging. Correct. Sometimes it can mean your dog's happy, but as we said before, it's important to look at the rest of the body for context. If his muscles, face, and ears are relaxed or all smoothed down, he's probably in a good mood. If he's tense, the rest of his body looks clenched up, his ears are pointed up, the wagging can be a sign he's unhappy. We also see this with Achilles, right? When he's upset and he's trying to show dominance and telling you to back off, he'll puff up his feathers, he'll fan out his tail feathers, he'll try to make himself look bigger. Yeah. It's so funny. One of the dog psychologists said a good, quick way to realize this, if a dog's happy, it'll usually wag with more than just the tail. It'll do a whole body wag. True, yeah. And that shows excitement or happiness. All right, so you did pretty good, two out of four. Clatchers, how did you guys do on that one? I'm wondering if people who are currently dog owners scored higher. Wait, two and a half out of four. Okay. Because I I corrected myself. Bully. Oh, on number three? Yeah, you got a a second chance. I'll give you 2.5. Thank you. (laughs) We're going to keep testing your knowledge in our bigger quiz coming up in a little bit on pop culture dogs. Continuing along with the theme of how amazing dogs are and some of the really cool things about them, I'm going to go on to dog rankings. So first we have all time. So the smartest dog, the dog with the longest tongue, etc. And then we have rankings by breed. So for the smartest dog, and this was looking at the dog breed that can learn a command in under five seconds and obey it 95% of the time after that. Do you have any guesses on which breed ranked the highest on that? German Shepherd? Well, that's a good guess, but no. And in fact, they didn't rank on most of these things where I thought they would. Boxer. No, they did rank on smartest list, but not overall smartest. The overall smartest one was the Border Collie. Okay. Which I've heard that. I don't have a lot of direct experience with them. Oh, and I feel bad. They also had the dumbest, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) meaning it took them way longer to learn those commands and did not obey it 
Um, they are also notoriously neurotic, sensitive, and hard to train. I'm talking about the Afghan hound. Clatcher, you have to look at the pictures of these dogs. So Google Afghan hound. It's so Because I didn't know what it looked like. Wait till you see the next ones coming up, Jason. All right. Then they have longest tongue. The current holder for this one is Moki. And he's pictured here. So you could see that tongue. But get this. The all-time longest tongue was double this size. Held by Brandy the Boxer. And it was 17 inches long. Oh, my goodness. So this tongue you're looking at here was double that size. That's crazy. That's a big tongue. That's weird. It makes sense that it belonged to a boxer, though. You know how you're always seeing them, like, with their tongues lolling? Yeah. Yeah. They do tend to drool a lot. That's one of the downfalls of boxers. All right, then they had the loudest right over here, which was Charlie, the golden retriever. His bark was measured at 113 decibels, which is 42 times louder than the ordinary conversation between humans. Wow, I didn't think that it would be a retriever. It's the same volume as a live rock concert. Wow. Okay, next we have Biggest. The record was given to this dog in 2016. It's a Great Dane named Freddy, who stands at 7 feet 6 inches tall. That's insane. And look how small the owner is. I think she's like 5'4". <laughs> so when you say stand, you mean when it stands up like a human. And in that case, they actually measure up to the shoulders. Not even the head? Believe it or not. Wow. Could play basketball. <laughs> well, then you have the oldest dog. The record goes to Bluey, a cattle herding dog born in 1910, who lived for 29 years, five months. And just so you know, the average lifespan for a dog that size is 8 to 15 years. That's something that I really hate about dogs. Their lifespans should be longer. It's so devastating when you lose a pet, when you lose a dog that you love. And it happens so often because of how short their lifespan is. And the bigger dogs are more like 7 to 10, not 10 to 15. That's insane. Well, this stinks too because there's another dog, Maggie, an Australian sheepdog, who made headlines in 2016 when she passed away at a reported 30 years old, which would make her the longest living by one year. But... She could never formally wear the crown because at some point during her very long life, her owner misplaced her paperwork and couldn't prove that she was 30 years old. Okay, now we have rankings by breed. The smallest breed of dog arguably goes to the toy fox terrier, whose average is three and a half pounds Uh and eight inches tall. Smaller than a teacup Yorkie? Because your, mother, your now, mother had a teacup, and that thing was adorable. There's some arguments over this, because, you know, occasionally there's been, let's say, a teacup Yorkie who's smaller, but on the whole, I guess, if you look at the okay. average size, that would go to the toy fox. And same thing, there's a little debate on tallest breed. So if you're looking at biggest, you have the Irish wolfhound, who's 35 inches tall, but also the English mastiff, who's an average of 250 pounds, although the largest weighed in at 325 pounds. Holy shit. That is a big-ass dog. That's three of you. More than three of you. Yes. (laughs) Holy shit. All right, coming back around to those smartest breeds we were talking about. So we know we have the Border Collie. They ranked them into three tiers when they were looking at this. As we said, tier number one was their ability to learn a new command in five or fewer exposures and then obey it 95% of the time. 
In addition to the Border Collie, oh, you said German Shepherd was on this list. Yeah, police for dog. Overall tier one. Any other ideas? What was Lassie? In the tier one. She was a collie, but not a border collie. Okay. Some other kind, and that's... um, Well, I know what isn't the dogs I grew up with. But we're going to get to that. The dumb tier number three. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) what about Smartest? Any other ideas? Greyhound. Oh, good guess. Actually, they're not on here either, anywhere. Hmm. I don't know. No, we've got Poodle. Really? And they very often, now that you see these designer breeds, they're... Multi poos and yeah. this poo and that poo. <laughs> they're breeding it with the poodle because they're known to be smart and easier to train. So those are the desirable qualities. Can you tell them to? Can you train them to stop yapping so much? The yapping doesn't actually come from the poodle side, oh, believe it okay. or not. But you also have golden retrievers and pinchers. All fell oh, yeah, into Doberman tier one. Of course, yep. very smart. I, sh- I just was having a blank. Now tier two. These dogs will need 6 to 15 exposures to learn that new command and will obey it about 85% of the time. Here you have the Welsh Corgi, the Miniature Schnauzer, and the English Springer Spaniel. And finally, Tier 3. I'm sorry, guys, if you own one of these, but they are considered the (laughs) dum-dums. They need more than 100 repeat exposures in order to be able to obey it 30 percent of the time so my old dogs the lab right yellow lab black lab brown lab no not on any of these tiers i don't know where they fall (laughs) they're the cutest puppies though i I have a feeling they're probably in the lower rankings yeah they are they're pretty dumb dumb but i love them one of them i'm not surprised by the others i was actually shocked so i kind of figured the shih tzu is on there they're not that trainable (laughs) but the basset hound and the bloodhound strange Now, I guess they might be good in other areas, but straight intelligence-wise learning, and also the Pekingese. All right, and for the last two, we have best-natured and most aggressive breeds. So, any thoughts on the best-natured? Actually, you already said one. Labrador Retrievers. Golden Retrievers. Both. Okay. Labs and Goldens are under best-natured. Best-natured. Pugs. Correct. It's definitely not a boxer. <laughs> no, he's not on there, but, you know, that's a real There's, a wrong thinking about they're them. they're children for so long. You know what I mean? They're rowdy. They take a long time to grow out of that puppy phase. But yeah. best-natured as far as, like, friendly, kind. Uh, true, yeah. They're very warm. I think people look at them and by sight are a little intimidated. Mm-hmm. No, the, the one you owned was adorable. But they don't rank on here. No, in addition to that, we have beagles, bulldogs... Bulldogs, hell yeah. Poodles and Boston Terriers. So actually, the poodle was the only one to make it into two top categories, smartest and best-natured. And then the most aggressive breeds, and this might shock you. Chances are you would probably say something like Pitbull, right? German Shepherd, Pinscher. No, they're just scarier, and Pitbulls are are bred to be mean. It's not the Pitbull's fault. That's correct. Believe it or not, the most aggressive breed by behavior is a Chihuahua. Of course, those little fuckers. <laughs> Followed by Chow Chows and Jack Russell Terriers. Well, the Chihuahua is trying to get some Taco Bell. That's what his problem is. <laughs> well, you think of them as being little and in some cases cute, Jack Russell Terriers, but that doesn't mean they can't nah, be aggressive. Vicious. I don't know what a Chow Chow is. Sounds cute. I 
think those are the big kind of poofy ones. Okay. My great uncle used to have one upstate. He had many animals. All right, but the ultimate winner, the number one smartest dog in the world currently, his name is Chaser. He's a 14-year-old Border Collie. So yet again, back to the Border Collies. Seems like these are a really good breed. Let's get one. Very cute. He lives in South Carolina with his owner, who's a retired psychology professor. Chaser knows the names of 1,022 different objects. They're pictured here. She also has mastered a few verbs that she can apply to those objects, including knows it, paw it, and get it. Wow. And again, to put that into perspective, a two-year-old human child typically understands about 300 words. 300. She knows 1,000. That's amazing. She's beautiful, too. Yeah, she is. Chris, Chris, what is this? What is this? I don't know. It's my Heisman pose, duh. Football season's coming. Jason, this is an audio podcast. The listeners can't see you. Oh, probably for the best. Listen, there are better ways to get excited for the upcoming football season. For any sports fans or fantasy fans, in fact... We're talking about a great website you have to go check out, MyBookie. They have in-game live betting and the most rewarding player perks. After all, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why you should bet with MyBookie. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews. Their site is very easy to use. And if you're like me and you're not just into football but fantasy, you can bet on that too. They have the over-under on how many points a fantasy player will score each game. They have pretty much all sports on there. Football, basketball, UFC, horse racing. And not just that, they have entertainment categories. Jason, I know you're going to want to get in on this. We talk about the Emmy Awards all the time. We can bet on who's going to win that. Topics for different movies, even a Game of Thrones category. Our listeners will love this. I wonder if the Clegane Bowl was up there in the past. (laughs) I know right now for season eight, they have First to Perish and Ruler of Westeros, who you think is going to be. As if Game of Thrones wasn't exciting enough. I'm definitely going to tell all of my friends that are into Game of Thrones about this. And my family, of course, who are huge football fans. This is going to get them more excited for the season. Let me give you the stats for why you should use my bookie. Okay, they have payout requests in just 48 hours. There's 24-7 customer service. They have a loyalty program and great bonuses. In fact, if you join now, my bookie will match your first deposit 100% up to $1,000. See, this is amazing. It's free money. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to deposit 500 bucks. I'm going to get $500. So that's a free $500. And then I'm going to utilize that money throughout the season and make it last while I make more money on winning because you know I'm going to win all of it. Betting on this game here, betting on that game here, betting a little bit here. It's going to make the season even more fun. Listen, we told you guys before we're Jets fans and that means the games aren't always that fun. Because we're getting beat. (laughs) And then we don't want to watch other teams because we're pissed off. Well, now we'll watch all the games because we have a little bit of money riding on it. This is so easy. Just visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G and use the promo code CLATCH. K-L-A-T-C-H. You play, you win, you get paid. It's your best bet this season. So what are you waiting for? Go to MyBookie.ag. Use promo code CLATCH to get 100% of your first deposit matched, up to $1,000. MyBookie.ag, promo code CLATCH. Well, speaking of amazing, they had a section here on remarkable feats that dogs have performed. They had a bunch, but I just want to read you a few. Number one, Sissy the Miniature Schnauzer. 
When Nancy of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, was in the hospital recovering from cancer in 2015, her miniature schnauzer walked 20 blocks to Mercy Medical Hospital on her own, even though she had never been there before. She was caught on video cameras in the lobby trying to figure out where her owner was. In the end, security guards found her, read her tags, and called the home. When Nancy's daughter went to pick up Sissy, she received permission to let the devoted pet pay a visit to her owner's bedside. But I've heard tons of stories like this. Dogs will find their way miles and miles away somewhere they've never been before to get to their owner. There was a movie about that a long time ago. So sad. And it was about Nikita. Yep. Which is a breed my family has owned. Yeah. You said Nikita, which is your. No, N Akita. Yes. And you have an Akita and you call him Nikita. Nikita. Yep. We call her Kiki for short. But that one was about the dog would go to the train station. That's right. To see the owner off and meet them every day. And even after the owner passed away, every single day, I think for something like 10 years, the dog would continue to go. Yeah, there's another story about uh, a dog whose owner passed away. And the dog every day would go to the cemetery and sit by the grave. Now, this is where I call bullshit on people that question the dog bond. And they will say the intelligence or their love for humans is really just their survival instinct to get what they want. You know, they're better fed, they're taken care of. But that does not explain behaviors like this. That, that's a pure no. emotional bond with a human. Absolutely. Well, speaking of that, there's Major, the service dog. And I've heard a ton of stories like this. They're so amazing. When Terry was unconscious with a seizure, his service dog, Major, somehow pulled his cell phone out of his pocket and stepped on the screen for several seconds, dialing 911. Wow. Now, this isn't magic. Terry didn't figure out how to do that. Terry's phone had been set to dial 911 if pressed for a few seconds, but the dog was never trained to do that. So either he saw the owner doing it, which I don't know if he'd ever had to call 911, or he just figured it out. But the dispatcher didn't know what exactly the emergency was, of course. He just knew someone was in trouble at that address. When the police arrived at the house, Major was found waiting out front to take them inside to his unconscious owner. Terry, a U.S. Marine vet who was injured by a roadside bomb during a tour in Afghanistan, got the pit bull lab mix as a service dog. Major can sense when seizures are coming on and also helps Terry to cope with his PTSD. Oh, that's amazing. These dogs are so incredible. Without getting into specifics, when I used to work in a hospital with returning military and veterans. This was an inpatient psych hospital. It was locked down. There was very strict rules. But if somebody had a service dog for PTSD or another reason, they were allowed to come and stay on the unit. You know, you live there 24 hours a day while you're there, sometimes for a month even. But they allowed the service dogs to come up and stay. And the guys would tell me stories sometimes of what the dogs were trained to do. PTSD-specific ones will be able to pick up on things like flashbacks will sense when the owner is starting to have a flashback or an anxiety attack and is then trained to do things to bring the owner back to help them ground or cope like lick their face or nuzzle under their head or or do something to kind of take them out of that they're also trained to go get somebody if help is needed so the same is true for a service dog that's there for seizures or any other kind of condition one dog that we had on the unit the doors for each room didn't have knobs. It was the kind that you could push down. 
yes. push the lever down and then open. So one of the guys was starting to have a panic attack one day. Dog had never been shown this, but was inside the room and figured out how to stand up, push the lever down, open the door, went up to the nurse's station and started barking at the nurse and then brought her back in oh my to where he was inside of the room. That's amazing. So, I mean, there's a ton of stories out there. You can go check them out. The things they can do are so cool. Our last story is Yeti the Pitbull. The Lennox family had just adopted Yeti, a Pitbull mix, when the family went on an outing to Beaver Creek in Arizona. Their six-year-old son, Fallon, fell into the water. The boy didn't yet know how to swim, and the fast-rushing creek was turbulent. Yeti jumped into the creek, blocking the incoming water with his body, and pushed Fallon to the nearest person, his father. The amazing part of this... When they talk to people later on, they say this day could have ended very differently when they went to the Humane Society looking for a dog, and that was very recently before this. They almost passed on Yeti because he was too big. Oh, my goodness. The very reason he was able to save their son in this situation. (laughs) Wow. How serendipitous. So this is really crazy. I mean, there was one before that, and I've heard these kinds of things about a dog who was able to sniff out cancer in the owner before the owner even knew they had it. You'll hear about dogs lying repeatedly on that spot of the body or pushing their nose into it, somehow trying to alert the owner that that's happening. I 100% believe that. I'll tell a personal story later on regarding that. Okay, and the last segment that we have for you is Dogs Without Humans. What would happen to dogs if humans suddenly disappeared from the earth? I know they took some of this, if you've seen that television series, Life After People, and I really love that. I think it's National Geographic. They talk about what would happen to the earth, everything on it, if people disappeared, you know, one day after, a month after, a year after. But they also did other research into this to try to give their best guess of how dogs would fare. There are varying opinions on it. Some think that certain breeds would do better than others. Some think that dogs would last for a little while, but then ultimately be overtaken by larger predators and go completely extinct. While still others think they would live on no matter what. So I'll give you the prevailing opinions of what would happen to them in the first years, 50 years after humans, and hundreds of years after. The first few years. They say for many dogs, the biggest problem would be the extreme body proportions that we've bred into certain species over the ages. For example, I don't know if you know this, bulldogs cannot whelp naturally at all. They have to receive C-sections in order to give birth to their pups. I did not know that. So they would never survive in the wild because you see bulldogs. Uh, Yeah. We have bred really bad things into them over the years. It's not worked out well for them. One of those things is that their heads have become too large to pass through the mother's birth canal. Uh, They also have other issues, breathing issues. Uh, They probably wouldn't survive very long. They also say that dog breeds that are outliers in terms of overall size could struggle. So really large dogs like the St. Bernard and the English Bulldog where what they would need to do to survive would be too taxing on their body, their joints, their organs, or really small dogs like the Chihuahua and the Yorkshire Terriers would probably just become food to larger prey. Well, even nowadays, if you have small dogs like that, they say not to leave them outside in the back because an eagle could just pick them up 
yeah. easily. Our teacup Yorkie we used to have, Lola, <laughs> could have been a treat for a lot of yeah. different animals, unfortunately. Uh, they think that dogs who would do best are ones that have more recent wolf ancestry. So I'm talking about Malamutes, Eskimos, Huskies, Akitas, and other Spitz dogs. I definitely think that's true. I could go on and on. As I said, we've owned Akitas for a very long time. They're a lesser known Japanese dog breed. Yeah. And there's a couple in that family. The Akitas being one of the largest. And then it goes down to a mid-size, kind of smaller, the Shiba Inu. Oh, yes. Who I've actually wanted want us one. to get for yeah. a long time. All of them, but especially the Akita, are still very close to being more wolf-like. Actually, I think the movie that we watched that we were speaking about was a Shiba Inu. No, I'm fairly confident it was either an Akita or a Kai Ken. Okay. You might be right. My memory sucks. Uh, I think they're a little bit smarter is part of the reason I'm saying that. But all of these breeds, just the bigger ones more specifically, are still pretty wild. They're very independent. They don't want to live inside of your house and be a house lap dog. They're bred for and perfectly comfortable and happy to be outside 90% of the time doing their own thing, which means they could still probably survive very well in the wild. Also in these breeds, the males have retained at least some of their parental instincts. Over time, now that we have taken them in so completely, most male dogs don't really have to be doing much for their young, for their pack. The woman gives birth, kind of cares for them, and even then it's sort of done. So they've lost a bit of those instincts and if thrown back into the wild, might not be able to at least quickly readapt. If I'm thrown into the wild after an apocalypse, I won't survive. Oh, me either. <laughs> uh, other breeds they think would have an edge because they've retained some hunting abilities. So talking about border collies, yet again, Australian sheep and cattle dogs and hounds. They think while small dogs would face challenges from predators, they would also have advantages, such as they require less food to survive. So maybe not the chihuahua, but a little bit larger than that might do okay because they could scavenge and eat what other animals don't want, like rats and small mammals. But they all generally agree what matters most is intelligent and skill set. So this isn't necessarily by breed. Sometimes you'll get a super, super smart hmm. lab. <laughs> yeah. Or a really, really dumb border collie. You just never know. Also, there's other things. Some are good hunters. Some are good foragers. Some are just crafty and street savvy. The dogs that would survive would most likely form groups and alliances to catch food. Now, Packs. At, well, no. At this early stage, a few years later, they wouldn't be as cohesive as, let's say, a wolf pack yet but more like coyotes who occasionally come together to hunt bigger game, okay. but then go their separate ways. Moving along, 50 years after humans. Although dogs would vastly outnumber other large mammals, an advantage that would help them hang on for a while, the proliferation of other bigger, more aggressive animals might catch up with them. Some people think that there are those that would hold on and adapt for a longer time, especially in areas like Australia, Hawaii, places where there's less competition with bigger mammals. They think they might interbreed with wolves and coyotes. Thus, those that survive would become mutts within a short period, and this would help them to up their survival abilities. It's also likely these dogs would have now formed the more kind of close-knit 
wolf pack we were speaking of that has a hierarchical structure seen amongst wolves used to survive. In fact, they might revert back to wolf-like behaviors. Um, Some people think within five generations or so, they would have wolf-like body sizes again, if not appearance. I agree with that. That probably would happen. With pigs, you could have a domesticated pig, and in no time, if they're in the wild, they become wild pigs, wild wild boars. boars. They actually change their body... They get the little horns, and they're scary. There's a good argument in here, though, for the other side of things. They would adapt, but they don't think it would go this way. So let's fast forward to hundreds of years after humans where you would really see the evolution. One interesting they looked at, there's been studies done where they've seen unusually cordial relationships in certain circumstances between jackals and cheetahs. Okay, things where... Animals where most of the time this is an adversarial relationship. The cheetah doesn't want the jackals coming in and annoying him for his food that he's captured. So they'll Hmm. chase them away. The jackals are too afraid to mess with the cheetahs. But they saw occasionally these relationships being formed where the jackals would come in and help the cheetah to take down the prey. They would distract it. They would round it up almost the way sheep dogs do to herd cattle to allow the cheetah to come in and pounce. Then they would let the cheetah eat, have the first pick at the meat. Conversely, the cheetah would eat her favorite portions, but leave a decent amount of the stuff she didn't like for the jackals to come in and eat later. Okay. So they knew they had formed this symbiotic relationship where they each had their own skill set, and they worked better if they did it together. Um, Some researchers think that dogs would do the same thing with larger cat species. They are adept at forming alliances, just as they have formed relationships with humans, which has helped them take over the world. Cats are good ambush hunters. Dogs are good pursuit hunters. So they might work together, running big game into a trap sprung by the cats. That makes sense. I like that. This guy says they might have dalliances with other species, such as coyotes or jackals, but the numbers wouldn't be that big, not big enough to erase the boundary lines between different canids, so you wouldn't get these really mixed coyote dog species. It would just be the occasional fling. (laughs) (laughs) They think that way down the line, you would still end up with dogs as their own separate species. They probably wouldn't resemble their ancient canine ancestors. They wouldn't resemble dogs today, but there would still be a lot of variation If you're looking for what that variation might be, this guy thinks natural selection would determine what that looks like. Places with varying climates and ecosystems would create different types of mixed mutts. So in North America, you might get a houndy pit bull type of dog with a shortened nose and long graceful legs that weighs about 50 to 70 pounds. In Europe, you might get traits of different labs, German shepherds and other native dogs to that area. In hotter climates, you might get something that looks like the current Arabian dogs, lean and built to survive the heat. And in colder climates, you might have more Arctic dogs that have more husky and Eskimo. In Australia, in similar climates, you might have a dog that looks similar to the modern-day dingo. (laughs) But more badass. So thousands of years after humans, it's feasible the world would be home to about four or five different species of dog, each composed of a handful of breeds we have today, suited to wherever they're living at the time. Bottom line, most think dogs would survive without humans very well. Yeah, I think so, but we've seen places where wolves have become almost extinct, 
and then humans reintroduced them like Yellowstone in a matter of years. We almost have too many of them and they're killing off foxes and jackals because they work in packs, they're bigger, they're smarter. My worry would be that I believe larger mammals might use these dogs as food supplies. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it depends like what they say what region they're in mm-hmm. and what is the larger predators in that region are okay. they going after dogs? I also think it's how long if they could get past that hump of readapting to the wild, starting to kind of evolve and breed back into wolf packs and mm-hmm. work together to take down other animals, then I think they would last. I think it would be a matter of surviving that first 20 right. years or whatever it is. And it would no longer be about being cute. So we would lose that from them. Yeah, but they don't think they would go back to looking like wolves. It would be this weird mutt, <laughs> like yeah. a, a more savage mutt. But still, that's pretty amazing. Well, that's great. We learned a lot about dogs. It only reinforced the fact that I want a dog. <laughs> Did it help you think about what kind? I know it changed some of my opinions. Yeah, I think so. I mean, a border collie is something I'd never considered before. List after list is making them sound pretty awesome. Yeah. But I still feel good about our Sheba. Well, Jason, over to our interactive sections. We're going to start off with the quiz that we put out to our Clatchers, and we'll let you try to answer first. That is Hall of Fame pop culture dogs. Fictional dogs that have appeared in books, movies, TV shows, and ads and become famous. And surprisingly, some that are not there that you would expect to be there, they list the top 15. So off the top of your head, let's see how many you can think of. Okay. So this is the question you asked the Clatchers and told me not to look? Correct. Oh. Um, the Taco Bell dog. I don't remember his name, though. Tequero Taco Bell. His name was Gidget. Oh, wow. You're correct. He's number five on the list. He was the Taco Bell dog from 1993 to 2004. Snoopy? Yes. Snoopy, the Charlie Brown dog, is number 10. Lassie? Lassie is number 14, the 1940s novel and TV collie. Oh, and we were wondering what kind. She was a rough collie. Snoopy was? No, Lassie. Oh, okay. I don't know the dog's name. Remember Bacon Bits? It's Bacon! Bacon, 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 bacon. Oh my goodness, you're right. Yeah, that one's not on here. No? Okay. He didn't have a name, so I, I guess loved him. Yeah. <laughs> Rin Tin Tin? Yeah, see, there's a famous one that's not on this list. There's there's a couple, and it's very weird. I'm going to mark down the ones you say that aren't. Oh, Homeward Bound. I don't know those dogs' names, though. That's not on here, but think about something similar, an older movie. Old Yeller. Yes. <laughs> 1950s novel and movie. You're missing one of the most famous movie dogs. I'll give you a hint. It was a Cairn Terrier. Very small dog. What about the big red dog? The children's book? His name was Red? No, his name wasn't Red. I know who you're talking about, though. The giant red dog. Oh, my. Clifford. Clifford, yeah. Yeah, no, he's not here either. You got Shit. some good ones, though. No, movie one. Okay. I, was, I wasn't listening to you because I was thinking about that. <laughs> Small dog, I said. It's a Cairn Terrier. Wait, Cujo. What about Cujo? Oh, Cujo is number 15. I think he's the only quote-unquote bad dog we have on the list, the rabid St. Bernard, created by Stephen King. You're not following my clue. I, it's not helping me. 
tiny dog. Uh, Paris Hilton's dog. Older, much older movie dog. Goodness sake, she carried him around in a basket. Oh my God. Uh, Toto. Yes, Wizard Thank of you. Oz. I don't know if that counts. He really helped me. 101 Dalmatians. Well, somebody else said that, and no, and I, I think maybe because there wasn't one okay. specific <clears throat> iconic dog there. What about the one? Oh, shit. The one with the spaghetti. Or the male dog and the female dog. Oh, yeah. And they're eating the spaghetti. Lady and the Tramp. <clears throat> Lady and the Tramp. You're guessing a lot of the ones that Monty guessed that oh. aren't on this list. And Monty, you emailed me, and I saw in the subject what you were answering, so I didn't respond to you. I just forwarded it to Christina because I was not <laughs> allowed to read it. So I wasn't ignoring you. Yeah, I think, um, think animated. Some slightly older, one newer. Okay, so... Um, Goofy. Yes. The 86-year-old Disney member who first appeared in 1932 as Dippy Dog, but was later rebranded and renamed. Goofy's better. But weirdly enough, so this list says, you know, why one and not the other. So why Old Yeller but White Fang isn't on the list? Why Goofy but Pluto isn't on the list? Why? They don't know. This is just, you know, I guess from polls they took, rankings of most famous. Uh, Brian from Family Guy. Yes. And the dog from Sandlot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's another good one. Not on here. I think I'm out. What was his name, that dog from Sandlot? Okay, you're out? Yeah. All right, so you're out. You have eight of the 15 plus an additional four that were not on the list. All right. Not too bad. We also got some comments from our Clatchers. Melly wrote in and said, Snoopy, Scooby-Doo. Oh, shoot. There's one that you missed. Where are you? <laughs> Lassie Rantanplan? Uh, she says, that's what the dog in Lucky Luke is called in French. I'm not sure who that is. And the littlest hobo, who she thinks was maybe only broadcast in Canada. And I'm not familiar with that one either. Lewis adds to the list the beast. That's the Sandlot dog's name. Oh, yes. And the Homeward Bound one we were thinking of, Chance. Mm. But there were two. I think Chance was the younger one, then there was the older one that was the retriever. That's right. Scrappy-Doo. Oh, yeah. He includes Scrappy uh -huh. in there with Scooby. Kirk added to that list Pongo. I'm not familiar. Do you know who Pongo is? No. Perdita, I also don't know. Benji, Jason, who you missed, who is on the list. Hollywood's most famous golden mutt. He said Rintintin Tin as well. An old yeller. Oh, Toto. and he said Astro, not on the list Astro, either. That's a good one. Turner and Hooch. That's I was picturing that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's go to our voicemail messages. Our Clatchers left us messages at CKC.6606. That's 252. 368-6606. Clatchers, always feel free to leave us a message about a question or answering one of our questions, and we'd be happy to play them in the podcast. So here's one from Brian. Hey, guys. Brian from California. So here are the dogs that I can remember from pop culture in no particular order. Benji, Doug from Up, oh, yeah. Cujo, which is a great book based by Stephen King. Um, Old Yeller, 
And then I put these two, or these last two together as like a grouping because you can't really have one without the other. But Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. And then Snoopy and his brother Spike. I forgot about Doug from Up. Yep, also not on here. Oh, he was great, though. My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! Well done, Clatchers. Yeah, and as I said, Monty wrote in. He had all of those ones we already talked about, plus Airbud, not on the list. Dogbert, who is on the list. This is another one you missed. The Dilbert comic strip Beagle. Very famous comic strip dog. Underdog. Oh, yeah. The superhero from 1964 to 1973. Beethoven, not on the list, but another good TV dog. I kept picturing him as well. Shit. Marmaduke. You know, I'm sorry, none of these are on here, so I'll tell you the remaining ones that you didn't get to. Very good list, though, Monty. Excellent. Yeah, you guys only missed two. Spuds McKenzie. That's the Bud Light dog. (laughs) The Bull Terrier from the 1980s. That's right. And McGruff, the mascot for National Crime Prevention. Remember, take a bite out of crime. Take a bite out of crime. Oh, Scruffy Ruffy has to go to the bathroom, has to go tinkle. That's their new commercial. Sarge! I just got a tip that'll crack this case wide open. Turns out the prince at the crime scene... Oh, did McGruffy Wuffy get a tippy whippy? I'm serious. We gotta move fast Who's before. Who's a good boy? Is him a good boy? Uh, I'm just gonna go. Oh, you wanna go outside? You gotta go tinky poo poo. <sighs> I already went. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Also, Max. I forgot Max, the Grinch's pup. Oh, that's right. So those are all your most famous, according to this 15 most popular list. We did pretty good though. Yeah, jointly, you guys did awesome. All right, now our next question we put out there. Have you ever or do you currently own a pet dog who you think can read you, can tell your emotions and thoughts, or maybe you have an awesome story about something your dog did for you along the lines of what we read before in those remarkable feats excerpts? So Kirk wrote in and said, When I was five, I came home from kindergarten and found Barney, my pet goldfish, floating upside down in his bowl. He taught me the fragility of life and also how easy it is to dispose of a body. Note to Walter White and Jesse, next time, just flush them. Kirk, you're so dark. That is so dark and not about a dog. But did we say dog or did we just say pet? We may have said pet. I can't remember now. (laughs) And Brian also called in in regards to this question. As far as dogs feeling emotion um, or dogs in general, I've had dogs around me my entire life. My grandparents had a dog, and every time my grandpa and I would go fishing, the dog would want to have the fresh fish that we laid out on like the, the picnic table to, to dry out. <laughs> so it was my job, instead of like gutting the fish and putting the stuff away, my job was to sit on top of the picnic mat or picnic table and guard the fish from the dog. And there's even a picture of me doing that. It's really kind of cool. Uh, love those dogs. I also had a neighbor dog that would come right up to about two feet from property line, look back at the owner, my neighbor, and then when he gave the okay, would walk right up the property line and sit down and wait for me and my brother to come over and pet her. She was that well-trained wow. uh, to know exactly right where property line was. Wasn't Didn't necessarily matter. Back then, we didn't have fences between our yards, so it didn't really matter where we mowed if we went over our path, but she knew exactly right where property line was. Uh, but currently, my wife and I, we have our own dog. Uh, her name's Suki. She's a Shiba Inu, which is uh, 
basically what we want. Yeah. smaller Akita, but they're in the same family as Akitas and Huskies and those types of dogs. Um, sheep, Sheepas are very much like cat-like dogs. Mm. Um, they very much are type and then leave me alone and five minutes later. Mm-hmm. Um, have no problem curling up on a chair or out in the sun for a couple hours. So keep themselves very clean. So very much like a cat, right? But Tuki is pretty good at knowing when me and my wife are not feeling good. So like if we're laying down in bed because we're sick or staying home, Tuki will come curl right up next to us to make sure that we're okay. Um, or even if I'm gone on work travel and my wife's there or I'm the one that's alone in the house, Suki will come into whatever room we're at to check up periodically on us to make sure that we're okay, or even just curl up on the floor at our feet to make sure that, you know, we're not alone and her pack, quote-unquote, is okay. So looking forward to hearing other dog stories and seeing what other pop culture dog people remember. Hopefully they're a little better than me because I think I hate myself. Anyway, <laughs> talk to you guys later. <laughs> Oh, that was great. Thank you. Brian. That's so cool that he's got a Sheba. Well, so I too definitely have quite a few dog stories. I've also had dogs my entire life. As I said, my family has often owned Akitas. We have one right now. She is kind of similar to that. She's very independent and sort of does her own thing. She is affectionate. Um, to a large degree. You've seen her brother Nico is the same way. They like to be pet. Nico looks like a bear, though. Like, legit a bear. He's a lot bigger than her. Yeah. Well, she's a female, so the females also tend to be smaller than the males. I think she's better looking. That's an ongoing debate in our family because they believe that bigger is supposed to represent a customarily better-looking Akita. So she's smart as far as being able to take care of herself. I think she would fare super well in the wild, but not necessarily as interested in reading human emotion. She probably could if she wanted to, but it's just not her thing. (laughs) One of my earlier dogs was a boxer named Bandit, who out of every dog we've owned was hands down my favorite. And luckily you got the chance to meet him. He was already a bit older by that point. He could certainly sense human emotion. It felt like he could read you the same way as a human sometimes. It was almost a little scary when he would come up and look at you and it looked like a human staring back at you. You could just swear he understood every word you were saying. And his big thing was he was always trying to take care of us, to do the things he thought we wanted and we would be happy about. But in dog language, that's completely different than human language. So our backyard was totally overrun at the time with groundhogs. They would come in and chew up the lawn, get into the gardens, destroy everything. And they liked to hang out under our backyard cabana underneath the deck. Unfortunately for them, they were very slow and a bit stupid. So Bandit would go out, chase them around, run under the deck and root them out, hunt them kill them and try to bring them back to us thinking he was you know doing something really amazing he was bringing us back dinner I'll never forget one morning I was coming downstairs in my pajamas and slippers I get to the bottom of the stairs I almost take the last step and I look down and there's something big and furry sitting there And it's this gigantic dead groundhog that he's placed at the feet of the stairs and he's sitting about two feet away 
eager look on his face, mm-hmm. looking at me with his tongue panting and his tail wagging, like, look what I brought you. This is good, right? I did a good job. And I couldn't yell at him because it was all over his face that he was just so excited to do this for me. Now, Bandit, because he was a boxer, looked scary. Other people were frequently intimidated by him, but you just couldn't find a sweeter dog. He actually went through a lot in his life. He ran away. He was a big runner. He needed a lot of exercise. He didn't like to be kind of confined to the backyard. He ran away once, and he was missing for a couple of weeks, maybe almost even a month. Whoa. When we eventually finally found him, we learned he was caught in a storm one of the first nights he ran away and was hit by a car and thrown into a ditch on the side of the road. A woman found him, tried to take him in. She ran from him. Finally, another woman took him in, and she had a ton of dogs and was starting to rehabilitate him and take care of him, put an ad out there, which we saw. At this point, it was weeks. We were so worried he was gone forever or had died. And we called the woman and were explaining. And as we were telling her over the phone, she wasn't believing us or it wasn't matching up. And we realized when we got there, because it didn't look like him anymore, he had lost so much weight. He was much thinner than what we were describing. He wasn't coming to his name. It was just like he had scars all over him from where he got hit. He was a mess. You could see his ribs right through him. And the poor thing, we think that he kept running from these people trying to get back home to us, but he also had a damaged sense of smell. There was something wrong with his nose, so he couldn't find his way back to our house. Thankfully, though, we were reunited with him. He was so happy when we went to get him. We brought him back home. We nursed him back to health, and he was completely healthy after that. And very happy with one of the other new pets that we had brought into our life, which was a green cheek conure named Polly. We have a green cheek conure now, too. I had my early exposure back then. Uh, Polly was a little bit wilder than our current bird is, but he loved Bandit. And we would leave his cage door open and just kind of let him fly around free. He didn't have his wings clipped. He would go around the house as he pleased. One of his most favorite things to do is he would come out of the cage, just sit right there on the door and wait for Bandit to come up. And Bandit would sit and put his head up against the door and Polly would walk out onto Bandit's head and the dog would carry him around the house and Polly would groom, you know, pick the stuff out of his hair and Bandit would let him kind of like look it up and they would just hang out and chill together. It was such an awesome relationship. That's so cool. But one more dog that we still have today, her name is Lacey. She is a mixed Bichon and King Charles Cavalier Spaniel that... Really, my sister got because the Bichons, it's part hypoallergenic. She is allergic to certain breeds of dogs. She's quite a handful. (laughs) She's a little more cat-like, too. She kind of does her own thing and can't be bothered. But there's times where she shows you a lot of affection. If she feels in the mood, she'll come up to you and lay with you for a while. We always kind of look at her as a bit of a snob. She's not the ideal pet. The one thing she is so intuitive about is when you're sick. So the way Brian was saying that his dog would know, she would know and to the extreme. So for a while, my mom was very sick. She has ulcerative colitis and she'll have periods where it flares up and she's really not feeling well. My sister also gets severe asthma. Depending on who wasn't feeling well, if it was my mom, she would just intuitively know that. She would go up to my mom on the couch 
lay down on her and put her head right on my mom's stomach, which is, of course, where she was having problems, and wouldn't leave until my mom was feeling better, whether that was a half an hour nap or three days that she was laid up on the couch. She would leave just to go to the bathroom and then come right back to her. If it was my sister, she would lay her head down on her chest. Same thing for me when I went home and I was sick. She just always seemed to know when my dad had knee surgery right over to my dad's knees. Now, how do you explain that? I mean, I just find that fascinating. So we've definitely had some really good smart dogs, each in their own way. Yeah, there's a reason why dogs are man's best friend. They bring so much to the families that they're with. I had a bunch of dogs growing up, but to keep it short, the latest dogs growing up were uh, brothers, Bilbo and Frodo. I loved them. (laughs) Yeah, they were adorable, and they were part Yellow Lab and part German Shepherd. Which is such an interesting mix. Yeah, and Frodo was the mutt, and my dad could not walk away without taking him. So he, he was smaller, he was, his skin, his feathers, <laughs> I'm used to saying feathers, his fur wasn't as slick. Yeah, he looked a little more lab-like. Yes. Whereas Bilbo looked a little more shepherd with the longer hair. Then my brother, my older brother, who's 12 years older than me, saw them with my parents and my dad said there's more left. And he went and got Buddy which was twice the size of both of them, and he was black. So he really took the German Shepherd. He was a monster. Remember Buddy? Mm -hmm. But these were great dogs. They were very loving, and they definitely took on the personality of my father. Um, And they looked out for each other. They were both super smart. I remember, though, that Bilbo was more affectionate and would come and lay on the couch with your mother or would let people pet him. Frodo was a little more independent, like to do his own thing. Uh, but you could just tell that they they for sure had that shepherd kind of intelligence to them. Yeah. yeah. I love those guys. It's very weird, both of us growing up in families where we've always had dogs. For the past 10 plus years, because we've rented, we haven't been allowed to have dogs. Yeah. And I feel like there's something big missing from my life. I get so excited to go visit my family because they still have the dogs. And I can't wait to be around them for a while. It just kind of lifts my mood but we found our own way to fill that void we kind of branched out when we got this bird I had had a little experience before but we wanted something that would bring that to us even if it wasn't a dog and we found a whole new love with Achilles absolutely wow so that was fun a little bit of a dog segment that's different for us with the podcast as you guys know with Patreon month to month we kind of switch it up a little bit we were talking about science for the last couple of months This time we wanted to go to Man's Best Friend. And we always encourage you guys, if you have any big ideas, anything you want us to talk about, let us know via Patreon. And if we can come up with enough content, we can definitely consider doing that for the next podcast. Yeah, and that's always for our main topic. So the better part of the bonus podcast. But, you know, as we're about to in a minute, then we'll switch gears and we'll get into some other shorter topics in the news, what we're watching now, and upcoming Patreon movies. So for the next topic... We're still going to stay close to pets because when I saw this, I was inspired to show you, Christina, because it was about not necessarily dogs, but about pets and man's best friend, quote unquote. And this is a video, so we're only going to make you listen to parts of it via Patreon. But of course, we'll have this on the main timeline. So this is about a couple who share a studio flat with a cougar. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's dressed up in a suit. Crazy. You know how heavy it is when it jumps? Yeah. Messi. Messi. Messi is his name. Destroying toilet paper. A year and a half ago, Alexander and Maria decided to adopt a cougar. Нашу пуму зовут Месси, ему два с половиной года. Месси немного нестабильным стандартом для, на самом деле, для пум. У него есть несколько проблем со здоровьем, по этой причине он очень маленький, он только половина от У него уникальный характер, он очень добрый, он очень контактный, он хорошо владеет с людьми. You can see they play the same games that you would with a dog or a cat, but it's just giant. The couple adopted Messi from a petting zoo. Alex and Maria already had another, much smaller, Sphinx cat living in their studio apartment, but Messi fit right in. <laughs> that thing is giant, it could eat that cat. Then look, they're washing the cougar the same way. Waking him up, licking his face. The same way a cat Except for he could eat his face if he wanted to. So expensive. You're giving him top-of-the-line meat. That's what he needs to eat to get his nutrients like you would in the wild. Beef, turkey, chicken. Five hundred to six hundred rubles. I don't know what that equates to in U.S. dollars. It's not just a carefully planned diet that Messi needs. Alex and Maria also have other tasks to do to take care of their big cat. You know, I like that video because it's obviously quite different. It's a huge cougar. But anytime you have a pet that's exotic or considered abnormal, it's not a dog, a cat, or a fish, other people don't understand. The caring for it, the living with it is very different. And I think they expect other pets to be like dogs in that, oh, I can approach it gently and then I'll be able to interact with it, right? I can pet it, I can handle it. And with a bird, well, no, you can't. He's going to bite your finger. He's going to draw blood and hurt you. And they just don't get why that's not possible. And then when they see they can't do that, they almost don't understand the point. And they don't like them It's anymore. like, this isn't yeah. cool if I can't do anything with it. Why do you like this? Why do you have it? Uh, not understanding that most other pets form a bond with just their owner or just the immediate yeah. people around them, and they're not into others. I wouldn't be surprised if this cougar doesn't... Well, I, I think it's the opposite with this cougar. What I found amazing is he goes to the beach with the cougar, mm. they go in the water, and he's at a dog park yeah. with the cougar. It's pretty crazy. So the cougar's got to be pretty open to people and other animals if I you're going to do that. So. It's a huge liability. If a cougar hurts a dog, you're getting sued. If you think about that. Yeah. Well, anything with a cougar, I'd imagine. But then I was even thinking, how do they go anywhere? At least, at least with a bird, we could find places to board the bird. Yeah. 
what do they do with this thing? <clears throat> it's uh, fascinating that it listens to him. He says, sit. The cougar sits. Oh, they're very smart. They have to take great care of this cougar. They have to check his paws once a week, cut them, brush the cougar because a lot of hairs. Now, it's another language. That's why we're not showing the whole video, but you can read it on Patreon. But they feed him twice a day and lots of meat. Raw meat. It's insane. That's got to be expensive. Yeah, well, they have to... You know, again, this is not an animal that's really meant to live indoors with you like a pet. So they have to care for it the way certain things would happen in the wild so that she stays healthy. He? He, she? I think it's a she. Messy. So I don't know. But they said that one of the reasons they decided to take him in was he had health problems. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was so small and, and I guess wasn't doing well on his own. So pretty cool, huh? That's awesome. <laughs> All right, Clatchers, we hope you enjoyed that little mini-series about dogs. And if you did enjoy it and you want to hear more similar things about science, about current events, about everything, really, join us on Patreon. Go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on the Patreon button, and join the crew. There's a tier for everyone. Tier 1 gets you access to exclusive community chat boards and our brand new voicemail feature, plus discounts off the gear in the CKC store. Tier 2 gets you the bonus episode coverage, one a month, and Tier 3 gets you the monthly movie coverage, plus everything else we just said. And if all of that's not enough, there are monthly raffles, two a month, thanks to an endowment from our sponsor. One for all new members that join Patreon that month, and one for all of our existing members, so there's always a chance to win. And with that, you get one free item of our gear, any item of your choosing. You could check those out by going to coffeeclatchcrew.com and clicking on the gear page. And we also have a new design coming out, so keep an eye out for that. Speaking of keeping an eye out, we will be releasing soon a Sharp Objects podcast. We spoke about it before. This is definitely one that you don't want to miss. HBO's miniseries coverage of the Gillian Flynn novel. It's been an amazing series, really dark, really artistic, faithful adaptation to the book. We were excited to watch it. We're going to be talking about the entire miniseries, so make sure that you've seen all episodes one through eight before you head on over and check that out. And of course, we will be letting you know what's coming up on the free channels for CKC in the future. Follow us on Twitter at CKC Podcast, Facebook, Coffee Clash Crew, and all the social media. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me! Please hang up and try again.